You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Connor Morissette and RJ Abadia, here to talk USC versus Utah, a rematch from the two games last year as the Trojans come off the loss in South Bend to Notre Dame and get an opportunity to go back against the Utes this year. I talk about competitive depth on Tunnel Vision when it comes to our 247 staff, and this is yet another combination of us here on the Thursday pre- preview show here on Tunnel Vision. So excited to have you on, RJ. Thanks for coming and joining us here for the Thursday show. But as we mentioned to you guys viewing every week whether you're on Facebook YouTube or Twitter you can leave comments wherever you're wherever you're watching and we can put them on the screen which means if you've got questions you can put them in the chat we will reply to those later in the show we don't have callers here today because boss man's out of town didn't set up the calling system uh, and we don't understand it quite enough to put the callers up so instead of calling in you can put your comments in and we can respond to those questions later in the show and while you're here hit the like button the subscribe button and go check out the interview that Connor and I did a little bit earlier on Tunnel Vision with Kalen Bullock USC's All-American American free safety. Don't check that one out though until you're done watching this one. So finish watching this one if you're watching live, then go watch that one and you can spend the rest of your Thursday evening with some USC content. But guys, USC gets another shot at Utah after losing to Notre Dame this past week. What did you guys learn from the two Utah games last year? And do you feel like these are two very similar teams this year or are there some differences? Well, I think, I don't know if it was learning anything because I think we kind of know what Utah is and what it looks like when they're good. I mean, I think... I think the one misconception about the championship game is the notion that the result was directly tied to Caleb pulling up lame as, as he did with his injury. Obviously, that was a factor. But if you go back and watch that game, it was in the second quarter when Utah started really taking control of the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And it wasn't yet yielding points and scoreboard separation, but it eventually did. And so, you know, I think this comes down to, you know, we talk so much with scheme and personnel and, and, and familiarity and staff and all this kind of stuff. And, and more than any other game on USC's schedule, I really think this game just comes down to physicality. I think there is no way for USC to win this game without holding its own or winning at the line of scrimmage. And that's, I think, again, that's kind of the eternal takeaway when you're talking about Utah as the opponent. But specifically, like you said, Jack, if you look back at those, at at the championship game, I think there was way more of a contrast than in the game in Utah. But I think that was, that's what I'm looking at moving forward in this game. That's kind of where, where I want to see USC perform if you're talking about how their path to winning. Looking at the championship last year, just how USC lost that game, that needs to light a fire under this team. And even though there are a lot of new pieces, the way that fourth quarter went when it was just seemingly Utah touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, that needs to still be with a lot of these players. And that's why 
starting fast this week is really important. Going out and losing 17 to nothing with a snap of the finger like they did against Arizona, USC, that's not acceptable. I need to see something from this team just to show me that they're alive, especially after last week. And if you can't do it against Utah, a team that embarrassed you in the Pac-12 championship game, then this is a bigger disappointment this season than I ever could have imagined. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think one thing that we've got to talk about is Cam Rising being injured for Utah. It's a very clearly different Utah team without Rising, a team that has struggled on offense. But you're still going to get that same physical makeup, mental makeup that you're getting from most Utah teams under Kyle Whittingham. As RJ mentioned, it's a physical group up front on both the offense and defensive lines. The offensive line is not the same as it was last year. I think they're still trying to figure out that group a lot like USC is. But the defensive line can cause just as much havoc as Notre Dame's did to USC. The offense is is not as high flying. I don't think they will have the ability to match USC in a 43-42 shootout like we saw in the first game last year. But they can run the ball. They've got Sione Vaki, who they used in wild cards, uh, wild cat spots against Cal he last was a week. Wild card. And that defense is just as good, if not better, than you know the Notre Dame defense that really stifled USC last week. So when you look at this year's U- uh, Utah roster specifically, what are some things that stand out? Sione Vaki for sure. The fact that last week they put all that on tape, that you know trick up their sleeve, having their safety, who the coaching staff at Utah compared to Eric Weddle because he was able to do both. Eric Weddle played a little bit of running back when he was at Utah as well, but was also a great safety. He certainly stands out, and we have to start there. I just don't know why Utah opted to put all that on tape last week. They said they had some injuries, and that's why. I felt like you could have beaten Cal with a freshman running back. The guys who weren't hurt were just some true freshmen, and maybe they want to redshirt some guys. I, obviously, I'm not a Utah expert, but it felt like, based on what I've listened to from the Utah staff, they felt like they needed to play Sione Vaki last week because they didn't have enough ball carriers. So I thought that was really interesting because, RJ, imagine if they just trotted that out this week. I feel like that would have killed USC, and it still could, even though they put it all on tape last week. That certainly jumps out to me. They have a safety playing running back, and he looks damn good. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting because if you if you watch that Cal game, it was more of a game. It was a game yeah. for a lot yeah, longer. Yeah, and they missed a field goal. It could have been than, a seven-point game in than, the fourth quarter. Then I think people expected, than I think maybe even Utah expected. And, you know, the truth is it, it's interesting because when you cover one team, not to go just right on the nose with it, but there is a tunnel vision. Where you get obsessed with your team and you get super obsessed with all their flaws and all the things that go wrong. And I think, you know, one of the most striking things about USC this year has been the massive gap between who they are in the Coliseum and who they are away. But if you look at Utah, I think you can make a very similar argument. If you look at who they are in Utah this season and who they are away from Utah, they got beat up at Oregon State. They were very shaky in the Baylor game if you look earlier this year and oh, yeah. Baylor's not a good Baylor that's not a good that's not a typical good Baylor team where you're sitting there saying like okay that's a great road win that's not a great road win when you look at how they performed and so you know other teams are not immune to the things that are getting USC at the moment and I think it's important to have perspective on that and I think it's important to have perspective on that coming into this game because Utah has been able to at home make it work with a dominant defense and just whatever they can get out of the offense, you know? And if you watch that UCLA game, the defense was phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. But UCLA was throwing up an 18-year-old 
kid at quarterback, an 18-year-old freshman at quarterback at Utah. At the end of the day, and not to jump the gun on this, but you know, I think it's going to be a close game. But it's really hard for me to favor a Utah team that just does not have a solid answer at quarterback against even a slumping Caleb Williams. You know, I, I think I think Caleb Williams will play better. But regardless of that, if you look at Utah, I mean, they are in conference play. They are at 5.5 yards per attempt. I mean, there are teams rushing for better than that in conference play. And I just think that when you are not at home, it becomes a lot harder to negotiate that reality and win. And so I, I think that's to me that just stands out because if you're Utah Yes, you have a connection with Cam Rising for obvious reasons, but I also think, you know, it it's tough to come into a season that could have been a playoff season. Yeah. With what they've had at quarterback to this point. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And there's a couple <clears throat> streaks at play where you've got USC has not lost a home game under Lincoln Riley. Utah has not lost a home game in years, but they have to come down to the Coliseum. And that's a place where in this, you know, Kyle Winningham didn't want to call it a rivalry. So in this series between Utah and USC, it has been very hard for the Utes to win in the Coliseum. And there you can draw similar comparisons to how long it's taken for USC to win in South Bend. Utah has had some similar struggles to win in Los Angeles. So it'll be really interesting. I don't think the Trojans can afford to come out out flat like they did though in the last game against Arizona because for all of you know the talk that we have about USC playing much better at home they clearly played their worst home game under Lincoln Riley against Arizona so you can't see that happen again and if you start to see this three game stretch basically where you, you've got the the Colorado game the Arizona game and the Notre Dame game even some different stretches in the Arizona State week coming out of the bye week if you see that to start to seep into this stretch of the schedule especially into home games I think that's when you start to see the Trojans have a problem now the fans have been talking all week about where this program stands right now I think kind of the saying the sky is falling after one loss not there yet obviously but if the Trojans aren't able to get up for this game as Connor mentioned against Utah the team that beat them twice last year kept them out of the college football playoff uh, really embarrassed them in the Pac-12 championship game. If you can't get up after a loss to play Utah, then clearly this team has some problems. So are you guys worried at all about, you know, the way that USC has looked over the last couple weeks, not just with the play on the field, but the chemistry and seemingly the motivation of this team that we were so impressed with last year with everyone being transfers and everything like that. It felt like they gelled last year. Are you guys concerned that they're not doing that this year? I'm definitely concerned about USC going into this game. And I, I wrote some notes down. It's pretty simple for me this week. This week is the season, in my opinion. A loss means the year is a major, major disappointment. Having two losses already in October, that would be, for where you started, number five in the year, that would be a disaster. A win keeps you on track, so what's it going to be? Utah, extremely well coached. I respect the hell out of them, but they're so limited on offense, like RJ talked about. If USC is anywhere close to who we thought they were, this is not only a winnable game, but a very winnable game because Utah's offense has struggled so much at the quarterback spot. We mentioned the motivation. Utah beat him twice last year. And I just need to see a response from everyone. For some reason, it feels like half of the fan base has turned on Lincoln Riley for whatever reason. Can he punch back and lead USC to a two-score better win? Caleb Williams, you mentioned earlier this season, I want to be immortal. Okay, fine. To be immortal, you got to beat Utah once. Alex Grinch says the defense is getting better. This is the week to prove it. No pressure. But to me, this week defines the season because the last four weeks have not been up to the USC standard that, that it needs to be. They did not play like the number five team in the country, which is where they were to begin the year. 
it's got to change. And if it doesn't, I think bad things are, are coming for this team. If they, it could get ugly fast if, if they lose this game. So th- this is massive. I, I think the season's on the line this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, first of all, I think it's important to talk about what both of you guys have just talked about, the idea that, like, everything didn't just come crashing down in South Bend. No. Right? We saw signs on both sides of the ball, even on special teams, right? Like, we, we saw signs of what happened in South Bend in the weeks prior. It's not like it came out of nowhere. I think for me, I actually have, for whatever reason, I have kind of a reverse take on this. I actually think USC is going to win this game. I think they're going to rally. I think they're going to check the boxes that you guys both talked about them needing to check, both the tangible and the intangible. My concern for them really is about the longer term. Mm -hmm. Like I, what, what, the most plausible outcome at this moment to me is them beating Utah and then hitting some struggles because I just feel like at this point, what's not right with this football team is the kind of thing that hits you over a series of successive weeks. I think they can circle the wagons and rally up for this home game, given that Utah is compromised on offense. You know, the, the, the way I look at it is, Yes, everybody wants a dominant defense. Of course you do. But if you talk about the extremes of a dominant offense and a limited defense versus a dominant defense and a limited offense, in the latter, the dominant defense has got to put four quarters together. They can dominate for three quarters, have a bad quarter, and lose the game, right? A dominant offense can struggle for three quarters and fix it in one quarter. So. You know, the net of it doesn't make one better than the other. I wouldn't argue that. But what I'm saying is Utah's model leaves far less of a margin. Yep. Right? And if you look, again, we talked about, like, these other teams. Look at Notre Dame. They went to Louisville and got flattened in a way not dissimilar to what happened to USC and South Bend the very next week. Right? And I don't think necessarily USC is going to flatten Utah. A USC win doesn't really surprise me, but the big asterisk is I also think the danger would be thinking that a USC win on Saturday fixes what needs to be fixed because I think there's a much longer list of those things, both tangibly and intangibly with this team right now. I agree, but at least then you have Cal and then who knows the last three really difficult games on the year. At least you're building up to something, but I agree. I, I think a win does not put makeup on all your, your blemishes for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can you can't make an over general generalization statement after a win. You can't say, okay, this means USC is back on track for the season. With a loss, you can officially say like most of their goals that they set before the season, you're not gonna hit. You're not making the Pac twelve championship game likely because I don't think USC is going to be in a good spot for any tiebreakers and I think there's gonna be two one loss or maybe zero loss teams in the conference going to the Pac twelve championship game. You're not making the college football playoff. No two loss team has ever made it. Caleb Williams isn't winning the Heisman. You're not probably going to a New Year's Six Bowl because if they lose this week, maybe they're dropping another one down the line. So I think what Connor said is you need to basically for every week of the season, but it's especially true this week, your back is against the wall. You have to kind of stave off defeat, you know, stave off falling into the abyss of eliminated college football playoff teams, teams that are on the down and out about making the Pac-12 championship game. So clearly while there isn't I think a ton that you can say for sure after a win, there's a lot that you can say for sure after a loss if USC were to lose this game. But if, if 
what RJ's talking about, USC winning um, and playing well against this Utah team. If USC is going to be able to do that, I think one area that we've talked about basically all week that needs to get better is the offensive line. Connor, I know you and Ryan talked about that a little bit on the show on Wednesday. You and I and Chris and I talked about this on Instant Analysis. It's kind of the whole conversation since last Saturday, and it's not going to slow down until USC fixes it. What have you guys seen from the offensive line as of late, and what are some of the big changes you think that the group can make? I think Josh Henson nailed it. Everyone but Jonah Monheim, their job, it's up in the air right now because no one's been good enough outside of Jonah and thank God you have him to play left tackle because if he wasn't around this unit would be in even more trouble we talked Jack on instant analysis like you said there are some guys who could potentially come in and help Mason Murphy of course at right tackle maybe even walk on Killian O'Connor at center but I just feel like right now you kind of have what you have you might tinker a little bit but no one is really coming back from injury or coming off the bench to save this unit so you just got to hope that it gets better, and they're aware of the issues. I do think they're better than they've shown. I've been surprised at how poor they've played. Individually, each guy, there's a reason they're at USC, especially the transfer portal guys, and they were so hyped up. It just hasn't clicked for whatever reason. I do wonder why some guys are playing different positions than they were playing at their other schools. Josh Henson talked about how he felt like if guys switched, it could potentially help them in the long run, and it usually doesn't create that many issues. It looks like that might have been a miscalculation by him. Of course, he knows way more about offensive linemen than I do. I just think you have to hope it's going to get a little bit better because what you got is what you got. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of this is in contrast to what we saw last season. And I think it's important for context to think about that. You know, this year we're talking about a USC offensive line that kind of has one certainty in effect, right? Now that we've seen results come through. Last year, Lincoln Riley essentially walked into an offensive line that had four certainties. Like he inherited that, right? You had Brett Nelon and Andrew Voorhees, who were all American-level players at their positions. And you had Jonah Monheim, who is very solid at his position. And you had Dietrich at guard, where he, where he has outperformed what he's done as a center so far. So last year, you're talking about, we got four guys that we are feeling rock solid about. The struggle is, okay, who's that fifth piece at left tackle, which is important, but who's that fifth piece? And then where's the depth? This year, we're talking about four positions that are not solid at this point heading into game eight and i think it's relevant and i think one of the maybe the most under the radar comments from josh henson this week was just how much he was willing to talk about alani noah because i think we were all surprised to see him start that first game um and i think we didn't expect him to play that big a role, but based on what Henson said this week, it doesn't sound crazy to me that they had bigger plans for him based on what they had seen from him. And you're right. It's not a one name. This isn't lever pulling. This isn't a one switch away problem, especially on the offensive line. But I think when you look at this group relative to last year's group, I think number one, they're just not as good because they're not, they don't have experience together playing as a group and i think we're getting to the point where they're not they're just not as good as last year's group you know the pressure rate is roughly the same i think you you talked about in your article this week it's roughly with 36 percent or something like that but i think the run game struggles is something lincoln riley has been talking about for multiple weeks now and it's just not come together like we you know we've all we've all been there to talk to josh henson right all season long 
there hasn't been a week where he's actually seemed really happy with the group. You know what I mean? And I and I think it's it's to the point where, like you said, I don't think there's a quick fix, but I do think the extent to which that group gets it together, whether that's a personnel switch or just getting it together, um, I think that is the story of the rest of USC season. Yeah, Connor and I talked about the pressure rate because we were digging into the stats, you know, f- trying to figure out how it compared to last year. It is relatively the same number when you're looking at the entire season of last year versus the entire season so far this year. But there are some outliers. I mean, they only allowed one pressure in the entire game against Stanford. It came late in the fourth quarter um, from someone off coming off the bench. So that game really sticks out because there were a lot of offensive snaps, obviously, for USC. Only one pressure there. So you take out that game and you look maybe specifically at what has happened since the bye week. The number is higher. I know it was at least a couple percentage points higher. And you look at, I think, the way that the pressure is getting there. Caleb Williams is a quarterback that's always going to have, I think, a high pressure rate as a quarterback because he holds the ball for a long time. He will get pressure, but then he's able to escape it. So he handles pressure well when it comes to not going down, at least specifically last year. And I think the difference in the pressure from this year and last year is how quick it is coming. When you watch that game against Arizona, there was one play and Shotgun talked about it on the Helium Boys podcast. Him and I talked about it. There's, they're rushing three guys. Both tackles get beat instantly on a three-man rush. You see Notre Dame getting pressure nearly immediately in plays. Now, there would be plays last year, like the Notre Dame game, you know, like the Arizona State game in the Coliseum, where there was eventually pressure, but it came after four or five seconds, or it was one guy coming through and Caleb could sidestep him. So that counts as a pressure on the play, but this year it feels like couple guys are winning on the defensive line every single every single rep it's happening quicker than last year and they're doing it in a way where they've got film on Caleb they know where he's going to go they know how he's going to try and sidestep him and they're not letting him become the Superman that we have seen as much last season especially in Notre Dame I thought that was something they did a really really good job of so while I think the pressure rates are the same I do feel like that's a little bit of a facade I think it definitely has been worse this year just considering the way that the pressure has come and especially the way that it's looked over these last couple weeks which are really when they've started to face some of the better teams on the schedule i agree and the second guess with the staff that i have like people are upset like clay helton left the offensive line totally bare and yeah monheim and Dietrich are still here and the guys he recruited last year helton are gone and this staff should have been better prepared for this they you know took a swing and they missed on a couple guys potentially it looks like this year on on the offensive line maybe that's a stretch to say right now but the guys you brought in right now aren't performing up to the level you wanted the second guess that I have with the staff is the transfer portal not this past year the year before you needed to bring in at least one guy who could help you this year and they did not do that bringing in all the freshmen they did is great in the long run but I think they could have done a better job of projecting out some of these issues. You knew Dietrich. Well, maybe you didn't even know Dietrich was coming back. You had a good idea that Jonah Monheim would be coming back. But then you kind of just put your palms up like, I don't really know what else we have. I don't know why the staff didn't see that earlier and bring in some guys the last transfer portal cycle when they were first here to try to plan for this. Because clearly it's not very good right now. And they tried to plug some holes in this most recent transfer portal class and it just hasn't worked. I think they could have been better prepared. Well, but, the four and the four guys that have been the best on the lines these last two years were all guys that Helton left over when you're talking yeah. about Voorhees and Nilon and Monheim and Dietrich. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two, there's two crucial things to kind of look at this. First of all, the larger takeaway, which to me is, even in this era of the transfer portal, yeah. there are still non-negotiable areas of a football team that must be built, and they must be built up over time. And the offensive line is number one. Because the, 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 I, I won't call it a second guess, 
I'm just looking at what we've seen. None of this has gone to plan based on what USC picked up in the summer, right? It's even starting with, you know, don't forget, they were supposed to get Ethan White from Florida. And Tarquin right? was supposed to play left tackle. And that fell through, right? And so Tarquin shows up, starts at right tackle, ends up moving over to left tackle. No. They pick up, right. They, I thought he started at left tackle and ends up moving. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Starts at left, ends up at right. Spends time doing both yeah. over both fall camp and spring camp, right? Jared Kingston shows up as an all pack 12 left tackle, spends no time at tackle, and is immediately moved to guard, right? You have Jonah Monheim who talked very publicly, and the staff also talked publicly about the fact that they think his NFL future is inside, right? But he's back and he's not playing inside. He's now at left tackle, you know? And I, I just, you look at all of this and I think, yeah, could they have hit on another guy? Are these guys misses? Could they have brought in another guy like you said? Sure, but I think the bigger takeaway from this is that building a championship football team involves building a championship offensive line. And even with the transfer portal, there are no shortcuts. And then the second point is just that as experienced as these guys are as individuals, they've not played as a group more than this season. This is year one for this starting five, right? It's non-negotiable, right? It, it just is. And yeah, it helps to be experienced overall. It helps to kind of have that in your favor. But I mean, you have to, at a certain point, kind of just acknowledge there's a time factor here, you know? And I, I looked, you know, I'm trying to dig it up right now, but I, you know, I'm looking at like Georgia and they had in their in their game notes, I think they've got like a list of consecutive starts. And I think Georgia Center has like 36 consecutive starts right now. And USC was the beneficiary of this last year, right? With Brett, Nilon, you know, as good as we think Justin Dietrich could be a center or as much as he said that was his best position, this is only gonna be his eighth game as the starting center for this year, ninth total, right? He played center in the Cotton Bowl. So, again, I think there's just a non-negotiable aspect of this that is not in USC's favor at the moment. Don't you think the staff could have done something, though? You know what I mean? Like, it has to be better than what it's been. That offensive line performance against Notre Dame, yeah, you have all these issues, but you're USC. You need to somehow cobble together a better offensive line than we've seen. I, I, RJ, you're making well, great points. I agree with you, but don't you think that – for whatever reason, it still hasn't been good enough given the circumstances. But I think like that's the thing, right? Is that the weird part about this era of USC football, to me, as, as a non-USC affiliated person, mm -hmm. right, who spent most yep. of his career watching from afar, the biggest and most curious aspect of this era of USC football is the inability to put out all-American talent, consistent all-American talent, like stack it. Right? Brett Nealon, Andrew Voorhees, both all American guys. But USC, for its entire history, has had guy upon guy upon guy, whether they were all American or all conference. That, that has never, that has been the thing that unites all the best USC teams through the bulk of the history of the program. But if you look at the last, what, five, six, seven years, the recruiting classes do not look like that. They just don't. 
So on the one hand, yeah, you would think USC would be able to find an answer. But on the other hand, if you're looking year after year after year, this is starting to become a very disturbing trend when you look at the history of the program, first of all, and why they win, but also just what's winning in college football. You still need elite talent on the offensive line, and it's not showing up in the volume that it has historically for them. Yeah, and I, I don't want to be inconsistent, but I just think that Caleb Williams' last year, this was the year to maximize everything they tried by bringing in some guys on the offensive line, and what you said is what happened. It's just tough to gel that quickly, even if you do bring in some talent. So, like, I want the staff to have done a better job, but I also acknowledge the very difficult position they're in, and I think figuring out the line, just kind of going back to what Jack said at the beginning of this discussion, is the key for the rest of the year, because if you can give Caleb Williams some time, even if USC is outmanned in some of these games going forward, he's the great equalizer because he's the best player in college football, so figuring this out, even just you know, putting like a little piece of cloth over like a leak, you know, just to get some kind of resistance, even if it isn't ideal, that could go a long way because your quarterback's so good. And I think Lincoln Riley, you trust him to be able to figure out ways to at least scheme yeah. protection. If he doesn't trust the offensive line to win one-on-one -on -one blocks, if he doesn't, you know, trust them to block four guys or five guys coming at Caleb, he will do things to minimize the effect that the pass rush can have. I think one of the big things is going to be, is Caleb Williams going to run in this game? Because as Shotgun mentioned in the Helium Boys podcast that I listened to earlier, his running can negate the way that Utah will pass rush. USC running the ball can negate the way USC will pass rush. Now, is USC willing to put Caleb Williams on the run, judging by what happened the last time they played Utah, where he had that huge long run, he took advantage of the pass rush, being really aggressive, and then he pulls his hamstring, has the hamstring injury that really changed the course of that game. It doesn't mean that USC was going to win if it doesn't happen, but it certainly affected the game, made it so that Caleb couldn't scramble for the rest of basically the three quarters that followed. So is USC willing to put him on the run? We know that they haven't wanted to do it much this season. He told us he doesn't want to do it, but it is one of the things that USC can do to help. And then I also just think that the, the conversation you guys were having, I think it's a combination of all of those things. You've got guys switching positions. You have guys switching schools. Not There isn't really a single person on the line that is doing the same thing they did last year whether that means position-wise or school-wise, and I think that can affect the chemistry of a line, whereas last year you had a couple guys that were stalemates, they, they were at their position all the time, or stalwarts rather, at their position all the time, they had played together before, now you've got new guys playing new positions together for the first time on an offensive line, and it just feels like so far it hasn't clicked yet. I do think this is a talented group, I think you've got talented guys at every position, whether they're the starters or they're the backups, and I think it's up to Josh Henson to figure it out, but as he was telling us, uh, yesterday, he's been doing this for 23 years. There's some groups where he's like, "This, it's they're going to click right now," and then they don't. But then there's also guys where he says, "I don't, I just don't know if this is going to click this season." And then all of a sudden, it does. So I'm not sure it's a one week fix. And I think as we talked about with Jonah Monheim yesterday and Josh Henson yesterday, chemistry can take time. And I mentioned this in instant analysis. The problem is the Trojans don't have it, considering what they're going up against with Utah on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that again. The, the temptation for fans and media and kind of everybody is again to fall into this lever situation. Will there be moments on Saturday where if Caleb runs, it's really going to make a difference in the game? Yes, undoubtedly. But I also think there's going to be moments in the game on Saturday where if Caleb just gets rid of the ball, yep. 
it's going to be we're, fine. And we're going to see adjustments. Where, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it's not a just do this type of a situation. I think that that's and, – and, and that's a frustrating thing to hear, I know. But the truth is they just need to do what they're doing better. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought there were moments in the game against Notre Dame where they stuck to their base offense and moved the ball and, and, and stuck to the stuff that they know. And a lot of that is getting rid of the ball immediately. Cause I mean, if you want to talk about neutralizing a pass rush, quick releases matter, getting rid of the ball early because you start stacking that up and pass rushing is the most physically demanding thing to do on the field. And the last thing you want to have to do is do it over and over and over and have to start and stop without even getting to get home. So I, I you know, I, I think there's part of that has to do with Caleb running, but I also just think like, they just got to be better. They just got to do it at a better level. And I think they do need to just trust what they have, you know? And again, I don't think it's going to take 40 points to win this game. I'm not even sure it's going to take 30 points to win this game. So stick with what you do well. As Jack said, look at what Utah likes to do. You know, have a few things in there meant specifically for that and then trust it. I think that's I think that's their best and most reasonable path towards winning the game. And that's why this week is so important. The last few weeks there have been some good moments, but USC just has so clearly not played to their potential. Can you bounce back, make some adjustments, get guys in good positions? The staff and the team keep saying, we're practicing well, we're practicing well. It's just not translating to the game. That ends this week. You need to show it on the field on Saturday this week. You have some limitations. The whole world knows. The offensive line hasn't been very good. Whatever you want to say. It's just time to stop saying we've been practicing well. It hasn't been translating. And time to show it. And I think... Good things can happen a lot of the times if you have a lot of talent and you get killed the week before because it forces you to make changes and then you put some of that talent in better spots. I do expect a response this week based on what Utah did last year and just based on the fact that USC lost so badly to Notre Dame. They can't do what they've been doing because it hasn't been working. And finally, even though Lincoln Riley keeps saying, you know, we're we're close to being good, we're close to being good, his hand is forced after last week. I I find it funny. We've gone 30 minutes into this show. We haven't really talked much about the USC defense. That is not a common occurrence on (laughs) tunnel vision, but we don't see the offense struggle very often. Lincoln Riley, you could argue, you know, it was one of his worst offensive games as a head coach last week against Notre Dame. Really, I would say his only bad one at USC outside of the Oregon State game, that one they were I guess saved because Caleb Williams had the late touchdown to Jordan Addison, but they really struggled on offense. The offensive line, of course, was the the big key that slowed down the run game. It slowed down Caleb. The three interceptions really killed USC from the start, but we haven't talked much about the defense. I think they played really well in South Bend. Of course, different situations because they were faced with so many short fields, but when they weren't, they played really well. And I know that Shotgun wrote an article about how, you know, good wasn't good enough, where they played well, but they didn't get stops even on the short fields. And maybe if they force a couple field goals, instead of giving up a touchdown when Notre Dame starts at the 20, then USC could be in the game a little bit more. But I thought the defense played better. This is also coming off of a week against Arizona where Lincoln Riley said the defense won won them the game. So you could say it was two positive trending performances for the USC defense in a row. And we've mentioned the limitations for Utah on offense, but what do you guys see from the USC defense over the last couple of weeks and then heading into this game specifically? Well, I mean, for the Notre Dame game, it's just the numbers. They held Notre Dame below its season averages in yards per play, yards per carry, yards per average. They made it tougher for Notre Dame to do 
things that even Notre Dame does. So so dismissing Notre Dame and be like, well, they're not a great offense. Well, fine. But USC still held them under their own standard. They played a good game. The first three touchdown drives were 2, 12, and 50 yards. Sure, you would have loved to see a forced field goal. And the 50-yard one, you'd love to see maybe just keep them out of the end zone on that. But that's 21 points right there. You have Mario Williams, late fumble, scoop and score. <laughs> that's 28 points. And you have a kick return touchdown. That's 35 of the 48 points, right? And I think no matter how you slice it, USC played a better game. And I think, like Jack said, if there's one thing we've been harping on all year, it's the USC defense. If there's one thing we've been harping on about the USC defense all year, it's about the tackling. And they made a quantum leap. Yeah in that game with the tackling. Now, was that a flash in the pan? I don't know, but I do know that Lincoln Riley ran the ball on 18 of the first 29 snaps against Notre Dame. And to me, that suggests at least on some level, he actually had some faith in the defense going into that game. He actually had an idea that it didn't have to be a high possession count game, that it wasn't gonna take 40 necessarily in a normal game to win it. So, yeah, I think, was it categorically good? Are they great? Are they fixed? In line with this whole conversation, no. But there's no question it was better. And I, I have a little bit more faith in the fact that it was better on the road. Like, I think you have a little bit more faith in a team bringing a good result home with it versus a team who shows out at home and then the wheels come off on the road. So I, I think, you know... Is it time to exhale and say fixed? Probably not. But I think USC's defense is going to be ready to play this game on Saturday. They definitely are going to be ready to play. We'll see what happens against Washington, of course. If they lay an egg against Cal or even against Utah, then there's going to be problems. But I just look at what I've seen the last six quarters. The overtime against Arizona wasn't great. But the last six quarters overall, things are going in the right direction. Quietly... Christian Roland Wallace is playing really, really well at corner. Damani Jackson has looked really good. Mason Cobb had a good game against Notre Dame. I think Tackett Curtis is improving every week. I really liked what I saw from him against Notre Dame. Yep. The defensive line, for its flaws, it's been the most consistent part of the defense all year. The run defense sometimes hasn't been great. The pass rush has really been strong. It wasn't particularly good against Notre Dame, but I didn't feel like the defense, of course, lost you that game. At the safety spots, Kalen Bullock's doing well. We're going to see more Zion Branch. I do think things are trending in the right direction, and people just don't want to hear that. It's all fire Grinch, fire Grinch. The defense is a disaster. Can we let the defense lose the team a game before we really jump on them? I thought that's what the, the whole key to the season was. Let the offense win you the game and just let the defense not lose it for you. Against Notre Dame, the, the defense didn't really have anything to do with them losing that game. It was the turnovers, losing that turnover margin 5-0. to zero. That's what killed them. I think this week you have a chance to have a good defensive performance because Utah's limited on offense. Cal, they're not that talented. And then you enter the gauntlet of Washington and Oregon, and you just hope what you've learned these last three weeks, what you've built up is good enough. I don't know if it's going to be, but to be a doom and gloomer right now in the defense, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I think they have been better. And I'm actually kind of excited to see what they do this week because I, I kind of like what some of the guys have been doing. 
I think at the same time, while there have been all of these positives, the points are still on the scoreboard. When you look at the Arizona game, when you look at the Notre Dame game, there are still points on the scoreboard, even if it's not all the defensive fo- defenses fall, and even if they have been making improvements. I think if they have a similar performance where they don't miss tackles, they play the ball well in the air like Bullock and Christian Roland Wallace have been doing, like they, Jamani Jackson's able to hold down his side of the field. He wasn't targeted really at all against Notre Dame. He completely locked down his side. If they have a performance like that, and they're not starting on their own one yard line or 20 yard line or 40 yard line you're going to see a good performance against Utah but I'm still holding back a little bit on putting the praise on the defense until I see a game where the points still don't end up on the scoreboard because we still haven't seen one of those this year and that's one of Alex Grinch's things that he hits on all the times like you can play well but if the points are on the scoreboard the points are on the scoreboard I'm kind of in that same boat but once I see the defense have a performance where if they can hold Utah to its normal points. I'm not saying hold Utah to below what it's normally been doing on offense, but if you can't let this Utah offense that's you know barely averaging a couple touchdowns a game, sometimes three, you can't let that team go for 30 or go for 35. This has to be a week where they are slowing down this Utah offense and they're not giving up more than the average points. Then I will be satisfied from what we've seen so far from the USC defense. Yeah, I just think you're moving the goalpost a tiny bit, Jack, because they can give up points. The whole thing going into the year was, like I said, just don't lose the game on defense. If you give up points... Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Like, yeah, that's the name of the game, but like the explosive plays are the killer. And they gave up one big explosive play to Notre Dame. They weren't in a lot of positions to give up explosive plays because the offense was so bad. But all year where I've been hammering them is when the other team is allowed to score fast because that's the only way if you're undermanned against USC that you can upset them if your defense allows the team to score quick touchdowns. And against Notre Dame, a average to below average, I guess for, you know, they're an okay team, so maybe slightly above average, but not a great offense. I thought they did a nice job, and I just don't want people to, you know, kind of 
of, of course, giving up points, you, you don't want to do that. But I, I think you're okay giving up some points. This offense is so good, hasn't been good the last few weeks, but they need to be the ones to win you the game, not the defense. Maybe that's not uh, sustainable in the long run, but uh, I, I just think we've seen people kind of complain about the defense no matter what happens, and I don't think that's right. Well, I, I think that, like, the job on Saturday is just very clear. And it's kind of, you know, Jack's talking about, like, Kalen Bullock and Damani Jackson and Christian Wallen-Wallace and making plays on the ball and, and, and limiting the explosive passing plays. But, I mean, honestly, they need to stop the run. Yep. Is there anybody? <laughs> is there anybody here who thinks Utah can throw their way to a win on Saturday? That would be bad I, news. I am not one of them. You know, I, I think a, a game where where they throw thirty five or more passes is a game that they have no chance to win on Saturday. So to me, I think it's can you stop the run consistently? And don't get beat by the wildcat that gimmicky offense. Uh, well, if that kills you, then I take back everything I said. Regardless, I mean, again, that's the run. That's yeah. you know, and that's and then you know, Grinch has talked about it, right? It gives you that's that's a true eleven on eleven play. So there's fits and there's things that you need to be mm -hmm. on top of there, so it doesn't get you. But I I just think that at the end of the day. I think this group should be able. It's not unreasonable to expect a team that is so limited at quarterback, an opponent so limited at quarterback, you should limit them. You should get what Jack wants. You should get low numbers yep. on the scoreboard against that team. You should be able to put in a performance that's winnable. And I think that as far as the rest of the schedule goes, I think it's important also to just gauge your expectations. Oregon went into Seattle with a top 10 defense and they got nuked. So it's not like if USC goes to Oregon and gives up 35 points, it was a failure. Maybe it was within the context of the game. We don't know. But I also just think you have to take into account what the expectations are. I think there were modest expectations for this defense. So all we can really say from the Notre Dame game is for a week, they surpassed modest expectations. The question is, do they show us enough over consecutive weeks that we actually start to raise the bar on them and say, no, we expect this and this and this. And that has yet to be seen. But I think the Notre Dame game was an unquestioned step forward. I think context is a lot of what happened, but there was still more better. You know, there was less to complain about than there has been in previous weeks. I think we could at least all agree on that part. I mean, we kind of mentioned it by not mentioning the defense for the first 30 minutes, that there was less to complain about, because that's normally what the everyone wants to hear <laughs> the first minute of the show, basically through you know the first seven hours of the show until we finally get to the offense. One thing that is for certain, and we've talked about a couple of things that we think are certainties, USC can't allow a special teams touchdown. They can't have a special teams gaffe like they did against Arizona. That is an area that if Lincoln Riley truly believes it is a better special teams unit than last year, and RJ, I know you've cranked some numbers on that, they can't afford to make those huge blunders in big ranked games against rivalry teams or non-rival teams. You can't afford in any game to give up seven points on special teams. Yeah, I mean, look, you love Zachariah Branch. You love the home run threat that he gives you, but I... Every football coach that I've ever talked to, I feel like if you strapped a lie detector test on them, will tell you, what do you really want out of your special teams? And they're going to say, no catastrophes. You, if you're catastrophe free, I think every coach in the country takes that, right? And so, yeah, the, the luxury, the fun of it is with Zachariah Branch, you have some home run potential there, and that is exciting, and that's good. But more than anything else, 
you've got to avoid the gaffes, right? Like they've they've recovered two of three onside kicks against them this year. You know, they gave up the kick return. They blew the field goal, the end of regulation field goal attempt. Like that stuff has to be cleaned up. And and the truth is, you know, we had the same conversation with Lincoln Riley last year about having a special teams guy and not having a special teams guy. The fact of the matter is it doesn't matter as long as somebody's in charge of it and somebody's running it and you are avoiding catastrophe. Because I, I do, it, it, it's interesting, you know, we've, like Jack said, look, volume of time spent, right? We've spent now maybe a minute on special teams. It wouldn't shock me to see a special teams play, play a huge role on Saturday, given I think none of us think it's a 43-42 type situation. Definitely. And Lincoln Riley said this week, our special teams are definitely improved compared to last year. And it's true. Zachariah Branch having that dynamic return man has definitely helped them on special teams. But he's only like that offensive threat. And defensively, I guess on special teams, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, defending a kickoff return, they were not very good against Notre Dame, of course. And then they missed the field goal against Arizona. I just thought it wasn't really a good week to come out and say, yeah, our special teams are way better than they were last year when you've made back-to-back back-breaking special teams mistakes. You're right. The good plays are good, and, and you know, if Zachariah Branch returns something, that, that's amazing. But the killing plays, the plays that kill you are, are, are way worse. The catastrophes, like you said, RJ, I think if I'm a coach, yeah, I'd rather say, okay, Zachariah, you might not score this week, but we're not going to have any big issues. I, I think you take that yeah. over, yeah, Zachariah will score, but we'll make some mistakes on different plays so just a weird week for him to come out and say that and there's been all the debate about the special teams coordinator or not you're right RJ. whoever is in charge of it whether it's the assistants whether it's the lower level not a full on uh full on field assistant like it, it just needs to be cleaned up we just we're waiting to see usc have a four quarter game where all three sides play well i i don't think they've had a single one of those all year and recently they've been straying far away from that where they haven't played one quarter where all three sides are playing well or they haven't really had a game in a while where one side has played well for all four quarters not even waiting for all three to be working in congruence together the offense hasn't had a good four quarter game in quite some time the defense i'm not sure has had one all year you could say that the notre dame one was probably their best one but there were still points in that game where they didn't play up to their best so you're waiting right now to see this football team come together we were so impressed last year with just how perfect the offense was, how perfect Caleb Williams was, and then how well that the team came together with all the transfers that they had. I don't, well, you know, not going to say that the transfers are the reason why maybe we haven't seen that this year, but it is hard to, in this era of college football, with all the things that are swirling around all the time, put together a football team in year, year two of a coaching staff that can go out there, they can play seamless football on all three sides for a full four, four, four quarters. And you're going to need to get that from USC down the stretch of this season. I don't know if you guys want to talk about it, but you know, we talk about Caleb Williams. I think we all assume that he can get back on track. I don't think we're expecting another three interception performance, but are there any thoughts that you guys have about Caleb Williams and him bouncing back the rest of this season? Well, I think that, you know, the actions just need to match the words. I mean, the truth is he nailed it on the head in the Notre Dame post game. The bottom line is that this is a guy whose escapability and elusiveness and athleticism are so far above everybody else that he's on the field with that it's easy to develop a mindset that the play's never over. And most of the time with him, 
that's the right mindset. It yields results, right? But what you saw in the Notre Dame game was just too many times where you just have to take the L on the play, throw it away, go down, run out of bounds, whatever. Take the loss against a good defense and know that you're going to have chances to throw more punches as long as you still have the ball. So I think for me, it's does his do his actions match his words? He diagnosed the issue to me that is the biggest issue with him looking at this season. And then the other part of it is just, you know, again, it's not about being exceptional. It's just being dialed in, right? We have seen, I think... We saw in the Colorado game, and I think Shotgun did a video breakdown on Twitter about how like that corner blitz has done some things, right? It's time to have that adjustment now. It's time to see that. It's time to react off of that. And these aren't necessarily be Heisman Trophy amazing player things. This is just be locked into the game plan, be locked into your your you know your protocols and your progressions and all that stuff. And, and just realize that you have to play the game a little bit differently than what you've been doing. You know, I mean, don't forget, like it's, when you have his, when you get to his high, as high as he was and this level of play, there's almost only one place to go, right? And every week that you show up is another week of film that they've got on you, you know? So I think this is, this is the normal give and take over a prolonged career. And now it's time to see him kind of respond and just take his own diagnosis and put it on the field. And if he does that, if he protects the ball against Utah, forget about putting up spectacular numbers. If he protects the ball, I am very confident they're going to win the game. I agree, RJ. Just learn from what happened last week. He tried to be Superman too many times, and it came back to nip him in the bud, the three picks, very uncharacteristic. But there was a reason he was doing it. He felt like for us to win this game, I need to be perfect. And sometimes the smart play is just taking the sack. So you're right. He said he needs to be better. Lincoln Riley said a lot of those interceptions were on Caleb Williams. So you hope he learns from it. And I'm sure he will. He's so talented. And a few of those plays just like we're so used to him being so smart. And he didn't look very smart at times last week. I, I think the logical step is that he will learn from it because he has so much going for him, obviously. Uh, the time, let's get to some questions and then we can wrap up the show. So if you guys are still watching on YouTube or Facebook, leave any questions that you've got and we can respond to them. We've got a couple picked out already. Uh, Michael Flores says, who are the receivers for Utah? That's one of the things that Utah isn't great at either this season. They've got Money Parks, who, who you saw from last season. Uh, they have normally a good stable of tight ends, but Brant Keithy, along with Cam Rising, those are the two guys that haven't played yet this season. I believe his name is Michael Yassin was the tight end that they had who kind of embarrassed USD in the Pac-12 championship game. He's now out for the season. So this is a pass catcher group that is probably the worst that USC is going to face so far this year, at least. And Notre Dame's wasn't amazing. USC, I thought, handled them pretty well. So this is one area where if you're USC, you're looking at this group. It is beaten. It is not as talented as, you know, Arizona that's coming in with Tedaroa McMillan and Jacob Cowing. So you have to take advantage of this group. But I don't know if there's anyone else that stands out for you guys, but those are kind of the only two guys. I believe they've only had a pass catcher catch a touchdown three times all season. Yeah, not very good wide receivers, and it's a product of the quarterback play. But my guy Mikey Matthews from Mission Viejo High School is the leading receiver, true freshman. He's a guy who was overlooked by a lot of schools, a little small, but a guy I got to know really well when I was on the high school beat. Really good kid, talented kid. He is kind of smaller. He is a true freshman, a slot receiver. If he's killing you, 
USC should be able to bottle him up a little bit. Munir McLean is a guy who USC fans will know used to be on the Trojans. Big body. He caught one target last week against Cal. He's a deep threat for Utah. I think based on what I heard from the staff this week, they want to get him more involved. But overall, the wide receivers, Jack nailed it. There just isn't a ton of talent there. The quarterback isn't fantastic. The tight ends, they're all banged up. So if Utah's moving the ball effectively in the air, you got a big problem. Yeah, and I mean, again, I mean, the, the one name I would throw onto the pile is Devon Vellet. Yep, he's, he's the other guy. Just because he's 6'5". He, yep. And that's... And he's talented. You have to have an answer for that, right? And, and you'd expect to see him. But again, it's just like what we were saying earlier. Like, if we're talking about the Utah passing game giving USC problems, we've got <laughs> major, major problems happening elsewhere because I just don't think that they can throw their way to victory. And so essentially that means what Lincoln Riley bemoaned last week about USC's offense getting behind the sticks. You know, if you're winning first and second down as the USC defense and it's second and eight and it's third and six, third and seven and above, you're charting a pretty good path to victory. You know, I mean, don't just dismiss these guys. They no, showed no. in Las Vegas, like they can make plays. They're not just out there going through the motions. But I think, again, it does come back to stopping the run. And if they do that, I don't see a guy on here who's going to single-handedly overcome that. Micah Pittman was a talented recruit. I believe he's hurt. So another guy, just add him to the injured list for them. He transferred in from Florida State, was expected to have a big role, and I don't think he'll be available. So they're limited, and it needs to be an area where USC does well. Yeah, I think the game could be decided decently early. Not that you know it's going to be completely over early, but USC last year against Notre Dame, I thought had a really good game plan. They came out and I thought they controlled the game early because they scored on their first drive against a good Notre Dame defense and they weren't letting Notre Dame get the run game going. Of course, that passing offense was slightly limited when you had Drew Pine in there uh, and the wide receivers weren't great for Notre Dame last year. They did have Michael Mayer, but USC kind of grabbed control early because they stopped a vaunted rushing attack and they scored against a vaunted defense. I think you're going to need to see a similar formula. And if USC can go and they can get the ball first, eliminate some of the offensive woes that they have had over the last basically nine regulation quarters, they can go score a touchdown and then they can show up and they can stop the run like they did against Notre Dame. They were very good against stopping the run against Notre Dame last week. Then they can, I think, get a little bit of control early on. And then you're putting the ball in Caleb's hands. You're giving the offense a chance to pass, not when it needs to, but when it wants to, they can run the ball. And then that's when you don't let the pass rush tee off. But if USC falls behind like they have the last couple weeks that's where things start to get a little bit hairy michael asked another question he said how old is caleb williams caleb williams is 21 he turns 22 on the day of the ucla game this year someone said in the comments that he's the same age as me but no caleb and i are in the same grade but he is you know about to be almost two years older than me so he's older and bigger and more talented at football than i am um Demetto's I don't know how to pronounce this name on YouTube, but says the moves to shore up the offensive line have not worked. Is it coaching, aka Josh Henson, or is it a talent level thing? Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about this beforehand, and I know this is supposed to be a relatively speed round, so I'm going to try to tempo this up. I don't think it's coaching. I don't think Josh Henson's record suggests he's forgotten how to build and run an offensive line. Um, I think part of it is the talent. And necessarily, not necessarily these guys being quite as good as maybe they thought or, or, and again, playing different. But again, I think it's just, it's continuity and inexperience. And they're both, they're short in both those categories and it's showing up this year. 
And I think that's just the big contrast. You know, I think the frustrating thing is the time. It just takes, it's a non-negotiable thing. And I just think it's not a Josh Henson problem. I would agree. Yeah, I, I don't really know what they do specifically in practice. You know what I mean? I don't know if we know enough to, to say it's the, the coach's fault. Look for Mason Murphy to come in for Michael Tarquin. I think that's the first quick fix at right tackle. That's an adjustment that they can make for the whole game instead of doing it for three quarters of the game, and that could sure up some stuff. And I don't think we'll see Killian O'Connor, but he keeps coming up the walk-on center, and if he does come into the game, Justin Dietrich would take over one of the guard spots. I do think they're at the point of desperate times, kind of calling for desperate measures, so don't be surprised if there are some personnel changes. But like I said earlier, you kind of just have what you have, and you just got to hope it gets better. The talent should be there individually. We'll see. And if you know maybe they struggle on the offensive line again this week to some degree, but they still manage to get a win, you could see maybe the Cal game is a game that Killian O'Connor comes in, and maybe he starts at center to see what they've got. But I think you're right. You know, asking a walk-on to make his first start against this this Utah defensive line that tore USC up last year—that's where I kind of think like may, this just isn't the week. Like maybe if Cal was this week, you're seeing it. But against Utah, I'm not sure how realistic that is. Cameron on YouTube says, which players who performed poorly the week before need to step up on both sides of the ball after the loss to Notre Dame. So guys who didn't play super well against Notre Dame that really need to step up this week. Caleb. Yeah, outside of Caleb Williams. There you yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you got Caleb, you got the offensive line. Um, How about the receivers? I mean, I, I think they can play better, but I also think, you know, that, you know, they, I think Lincoln got that question at some point about separation and lack of separation. I mean, this there's been no shortage of open guys over the first what are we at, 21, 21 games into the Lincoln-Riley era at this point? I, I expect there to be open guys. Brendan Rice, these guys have all shown that they can make plays. I will say I am getting increasingly curious about Deuce Robinson and just how close he is to working into the rotation. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is, you know, tight ends. Yep. They had a shot with Lake McCree against Notre Dame. They missed on it. Haven't leaned too heavily on them. Have used them a little bit at the goal line as kind of a red zone finisher. But I, I do wonder if there's not a little bit more that they can get out of that group. Especially, especially blocking. Yeah, especially blocking and especially just against tendency. Yeah. You know, the Jude Wolf touchdown um, was in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. So much of that was like, there's no way Colorado even has film on Jude Wolf. You know what I mean? So I, I think there are some guys, but I, I think it's really about just the headliners getting back to their level of play. The tight ends do need to block better, in my opinion. That's been a problem. Yeah, I would agree. We did get a question about Deuce Robinson saying, will Deuce Robinson have an impact on Sunday? I think you're starting to see, you know, maybe he cracks the rotation, but then again, there are so many guys. And just saying... Well, put the talented five-star guy on the field does not always work. People were in the comment section asking for Elijah Page. Like We're talking about how chemistry issues are a thing. You've got Dorian Singer, who is as, as talented as anyone in the USC wide receiver room, and he's not having the season I think he wants and USC fans wanted from him because him and Caleb just aren't on the right page right now. So you can't just automatically you know, throw in Deuce Robinson because he is talented. A, a lot of this stuff just comes down to chemistry. Maybe he's got it with him in practice and we wouldn't quite know, but at some point you can't just say throw in you know, the, the talented freshman because there are more layers to the way this, this works. You guys took Caleb and the receivers and we've obviously talked a lot about how the offensive line needs to improve. The one group I will single out on defense is the edge rushers. They did not get very much pressure against Notre Dame and I know that they were defending the run a lot and there weren't a ton of dropback scenarios for Sam Hartman. 
but this is a group that came in, you know, top in the nation and 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 tackles for loss, close to the top in the nation in sacks. They had one tackle for loss that came from a linebacker and they had no sacks. That needs to get better against Utah, especially you're going to have a quarterback out there that is facing the Coliseum for the first time, you know, facing a ranked opponent. They're not going to be super comfortable. You can't let them have time in the backfield. I think the edge rushers need to get a little bit better about getting some pressure this week. I agree. All right, we got a couple more questions. Relic says, do you think USC's head coaching job is harder than the job Riley initially accepted? Between NIL troubles and the Big Ten move, this may be a tougher gig than he expected. That's a really good question because it's really tough to know what exactly Lincoln Riley thought he was walking into. I think I feel safe saying he did not expect to be walking into the Big Ten. I don't know. I, I kind of wonder job. whether that was his I, idea. I, I do not believe it was. We'll just say that for the moment. Um, I will say I think the NIL issue and just how it's played out and, and, and just the reality of it, not necessarily about how it's worked out at USC, but I think he is soured on the recruiting process and soured on what it takes and, and what it's become. Now, has that leaked into how well he's doing, how much he's doing? I have no comment on that. And I'm not going to put that out there until we see results and talk to him about it, frankly. But I think the way he, you know, to go back to the question, I think both of those things are things he didn't bargain for. And we can debate the Big Ten thing, but I think he's been just explicit. It's not, we're not even reading his mind. You know, he's not happy about the current state of NIL and high school recruiting. He, he said it very clearly. And I think that's, that's tough because I do think at the end of the day, even in this era, that's a huge part of the job, right? Yeah, I do think it's tougher than he signed up for. And maybe he knew coming in that USC with the NIL wasn't going to go the way of paying high school kids. So maybe he did know he was signing up for it. But I think as more time goes on, it just is getting more and more obvious that USC needs to change its high school recruiting tactics because they're just not being competitive for the best players in the nation. I feel like are in love with Lincoln Riley, the quarterbacks, the receivers, like that, that's fine. But to consistently get the top talent at every position, it's pretty clear what you have to do. You got to pony up some money. And USC, they've been reluctant to do that. I don't know if before Riley agreed to come to USC, that that was part of it. If it wasn't, that's certainly been harder than he anticipated. And if it was, maybe he was convinced that they didn't need to recruit that way. But I think it's becoming more and more obvious they do. And that, by nature, just makes the job a lot harder because it's a whole extra hoop to jump through to get kids to come to your school. So I, I, I don't know if it's him you know, maybe not knowing, but just the how recruiting has changed, I think, has made everyone's job harder. And we're seeing that with Lincoln Riley for sure. Yeah, I would just say like the job of a college football head coach has gotten harder for everyone in the country. And, you know, some have had an easier job because their schools are shelling out money to high school prospects. I don't know if that is a Lincoln Riley deciding not to do it or USC deciding not to do it. So we can't make a full comment about the position, but I would agree. I think it is a harder gig than he initially accepted and you know thought he was walking into but that's all we've got for the question so let's round the show out score prediction and mvp rj you know this will be your first time here on the thursday show so i'll let you go first you can have you give your score prediction then you can have first choice and mvp our one rule is you can't take caleb williams so so okay i because we still have our picks 
article to come out. I'm not going to go score. I am going to predict USC wins this game, which I kind of been doing this whole time. But USC is going to win. Player of the game, I'm going with Taj Washington. I think Mr. Reliable steps up. You know, when we talk about Caleb, how do you get back him? How do you get him back on track? Go to that guy that you trust. Go to that guy that you know is going to be there for you. So I'm going Taj Washington. My score, I do think USC bounces back. And as hard as it's been for me to make that prediction based on everything I've seen the last few months, or the last few weeks, excuse me, just going back to the beginning of the season, how excited I felt like just to cover this team because I thought they had this much talent. We just haven't seen it. Like I'm just channeling what I was feeling at the beginning of the year. Maybe that makes me a total idiot, but I just think they have more talent than we've seen the past couple weeks. So I have USC 26 to 17 and a grinded out sort of game. The spread is seven. So I think they're going to cover the spread bounce back. If it blows up in my face, it blows up in my face. I don't know who to pick for my MVP. Let's say I, maybe a, a defensive player, because the guys I picked on offense have not been doing very well. So I'm going to go with Mason Cobb. How about that? That seems like a good one. I've been bouncing back and forth. I, I I felt like when I was thinking about this game, like seven points, USC's favorite, that's that's too many. But now that I'm kind of talking myself into it a little bit, I might be talking myself into a push, but I don't really want to predict a push because that's boring. I'm going to go... I was like around that 31-24 range, so maybe I'll give USC an extra field goal, but I don't think there'll be that many possessions. We'll go, I'll go 31-21. Yeah, we'll go 31-21. I'll take USC. You know, I I don't really want to predict a push, but maybe that'll change when the picks episode comes out. My MVP, I'm going to go Zachariah Branch. I think he's going to affect the game in a couple of different ways, both on special teams and the backfield, as well as as a receiver. I think you're really going to see Lincoln Riley in this part of the schedule use Branch in as many ways as he can. You saw a teaser of it in the Notre Dame game. He had one carry and he rushed for about you know 20 yards. He said channeling his middle school days. You're going to see him used in a lot of different ways. And you know Utah, with some of the misdirection stuff USC did in the first game, didn't handle it very well. The Utah defense didn't play well at all in the, in the first game between USC and Utah last year. And they didn't play very well early on until Caleb Williams got hurt in the Pac-12 championship game. And then that's when the offensive line started to break down for USC too. So I, I think USC can scheme things up against Utah and I think that Branch will be a big benefactor of that so he's my MVP pick. Jack I'm surprised you're picking him to cover I part wasn't of the reason, going to part I of the reason my... I did was because I didn't think you were I, I talked myself into it Boo. but maybe I'll end up picking a push <laughs> so we'll see do you guys have any other thoughts before we wrap up this show it's it's a big matchup this weekend obviously and there's a lot of things to talk about but at some point you just got to watch these two teams go duke it out and play in what might be the last matchup between these two teams in, in you know for a while because both teams are leaving the conference and Kyle Whittingham didn't want to call it a rivalry, so we can call it, I guess, a recent rivalry or at least heated series. I think if there's one word, and it hasn't even come up this week, but I think personal is the word for Saturday. I think, first of all, Lincoln Riley, you're talking about you're going to say goodbye by going 0-3 against Kyle Whittingham. I think he's a competitor. I think that matters to him. And I think the team, like I think you – it's time to just take the game personal, and, and it should look like that when we watch them play. I think that is the first and biggest thing they can do towards getting this thing done. It's just what I said earlier. This is the season. If you lose this week, the season is a massive disappointment starting the year number five in the country and then for five straight weeks going back in the polls. And if you lose this week, maybe you drop out completely. This team is... 
needs to be a top 25 team in the country with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. I've been very um, just, I've talked up Lincoln Riley and this staff all week, but they got to start showing it. And I think this is a major, major week to get everyone back on board. Like I said earlier, for whatever reason, it seems like half the fan base wants Lincoln Riley fired, which I do not understand. Even if they lose this game, I think it'll be bad, but I don't think he deserves to get fired. Even if they drop this one, it's just crazy. So they, they need it. You know, from Caleb Williams, the, the rumor floating around that he wants equity in it, the team that he gets picked, which was a totally bogus rumor, and, and Lincoln Riley's going to follow him to the NFL, and people aren't bought in, and the team's in trouble, they're sliding. Like, shut everyone up, go out and get a win against a team that smacked you around twice, and I'm just sick of having to defend the team based on what they've done because it hasn't looked very good. Give me a reason to defend you. You're so much better than you've shown. I think Lincoln Riley needs to bring you in to speak to the team. He's going to show just put this video on the screen. He's like, well, normally the media gives us bulletin board material, but here we've got motivational yeah. material. Watch watch this guy. Um, but that, that's all we've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're watching live or you're listening to the replay, I'm sure you guys are all excited to go out there and watch USC versus Utah. I bet the Coliseum's going to be packed, and we'll see if USC can respond to that, unlike how they did against Arizona, and get back in the win column and maybe start, we'll see, a winning stretch down this back half of the schedule like they did last year after losing a game to Utah this exact week last year. So it, it's kind of a lot of parallels drawn to last year, um, but we'll see if U USC can finally knock off Utah, unlike they were able to do in the two games last season. Anyways, for RJ Abadia and Connor Morissette joining me in studio, I've been your host, Jack Smith. Thank you guys so much for tuning Tunnel Vision. Hit the like button, the subscribe button, the notification bell, leave comments wherever you are. But thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back with Tunnel Vision recapping the game, USC win or lose on Sunday. It'll be, I think, Connor, Ryan, and I after the game on Saturday. But thank you guys so much for listening. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.